Welcome to We Are Water, a podcast by Beaver Watershed Alliance. I'm Carrie Byron, and I work in outreach here at the Alliance. With this podcast, we aim to spark discussion on the importance of watershed conservation through conversations with our partners and stories from our field work. August is Water Quality Month, and on our podcast, we are focusing on Ozark streams. This week, we welcome two Alliance team members. Melissa McCarver is a program coordinator with a background in stream ecology and has researched the distribution of myofauna, or aquatic invertebrates, in Ozark streams. Kayla Sayre is a watershed specialist with a Master of Science degree in stream ecology and has researched how stone rollers influence algae in Ozark streams. Good morning, Melissa and Kayla. How are you guys this morning? Great. Doing well. How are you? I'm well also. Uh, Well, let's get started with um, talking about Ozark streams. Melissa, could you describe an Ozark stream for us? Definitely. Due to the slow geologic uplift of the Ozark region over the past millions of years, the riverine landscape here in the Ozarks is deeply dissected by clear flowing high gradient streams. Often these streams are spring fed And due to our karst ecology here, aquatic systems contain endemic species or species that are not found anywhere else in the world. In the White River system, we have the Ozark Shiner and the Ozark Crayfish. That's pretty cool. Um, So what characteristics of the stream create the greatest biodiversity of aquatic life? Kayla, could you answer that? Yeah, so um, one of the first things Um, we learned about in stream ecology was that the stream is its valley. So in a lot of ways, a biodiverse stream is influenced by having a pristine valley around it. Um, So um, in order to promote biodiversity in streams, we need to be stewards to the land and implement what we call our best management practices to help slow the flow of water draining into streams. So a more pristine pristine stream typically has a landscape that is vegetated with less um, disturbance around the stream or alterations to these landscapes. One example of how a landscape influences a stream is in city environments. So in city environments, um, the surfaces are typically paved more, which can create problems for streams within the environment. Um, These paved landscapes make it so that water drains the surfaces much more quickly, um, which increases flow within the streams. And also this pavement retains water, so the water that goes into the stream is usually warmer. So these extreme environments generally reduce the biodiversity in streams. Okay. Oh, wow. Everything we do has an impact, certainly. So Kayla, why don't you tell us a little bit about the fish that we typically find in streams around the Northwest Arkansas area? Um, so, I'm going to talk to you about a few of my favorite fish, I guess, in some of the dark streams. 
cool. Uh, most of these fish usually inhabit um, riffle habitats. So within a stream, there's three typical habitats. There's pools, which are what you go and you want to go swimming on an Ozark stream. You go to those pools. They're deep, um, slow flowing. Um, and then there's runs, which are a little faster, but they're um, they're a little faster um, and a little less deep than pools. And then the last one is a riffle. So typically riffles are where I find my favorite fish. So riffles are usually high flowing and high oxygen habitats. Okay. Um, so my first favorite fish is the Ozark or the central stone roller. So a lot of people probably would look at this fish and think it's kind of just like a silly minnow. It's a small fish with <laughs> a downturned mouth, so it's used to eat algae. Um, but the cool thing about stone rollers is um, they're found in very high numbers in Ozark streams. So they have a potential to influence um, the amount of algae you find in a stream, oddly enough. Um, another cool thing about stone rollers um, is that they they build nests, and that's why they're called stone rollers. So oh, they wow. they roll stones around so they can make a pit a pit in uh, streams, so that females can come and lay their eggs. Um, and actually, a lot of other fish use these nests to lay their eggs as well. Oh wow, that's cool. Um. And then the second uh, type of fish are darters. So darters are kind of like the butterflies of the river, I would say. Um, the most common types of darters we can find in the Ozarks are rainbow and orange throat. So um, typically you find those everywhere. Um, but one of the coolest types of darters I can talk about is called a fantail darter. And if I could backtrack a little bit, so darters are typically um, small fish. Uh, they are very colorful and they kind of hang out at the bottom of riffles and they use their fins to kind of just scoot along uh, the bottom of streams and kind of eat fish or eat um, insects as they go along. Um, and the cool thing about a fantail darter is they have, um, the males have these egg mimics on their fins. So in order to lure females to come and lay eggs in their nest, they, they have these little mimics on their fins that they uh, kind of show off and pretend like they have more eggs in their nest because Huh, that's they cool. already have eggs in their nest, and more females are going to come and lay more eggs. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and then the second one is the Arkansas darter. Um, they're they're interesting because they're typically, I think, one of the only locations they're found at in Arkansas is actually at um, Wilson Springs Preserve which I believe okay. is the Beaver Lake watershed, is that right? Wait, what's it? Wilson Springs? Isn't it? Well, I don't know. It's, it's close. It's in the Ozarks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they, uh, 
they're only really found in Wilson Springs preserves because they're found in um, spring fed streams with sandy bottoms. Okay. What's your favorite thing about them? Uh, well, I guess my favorite thing about them is that they're, I just think that people should know about them because they're an endangered fish, I guess. Um, they're really beautiful. Um, maybe we'll have some photos I can send you of some of these cool fish. Cool. Yeah. And these are small fish, right, yeah. Kayla? They're little fish. Yeah. So I guess I'm not, what well, I really like small fish. <laughs> I'm, kind of, I, I'm not like a game fisherman. I like the small little fish that inhabit ripples or do, or, or you know, small, you know, things that normal fish connoisseurs would not enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so, Melissa, what about macroinvertebrates? Can you tell us about some common macros that we would find in Ozark streams? Yes, yeah, so aquatic macroinvertebrates are small organisms that lack a backbone that spend all or part of their life cycle in the water. Some examples okay. of macroinvertebrates are insect larvae, worms, crayfish, and snails. Oh my gosh, that's a big variety, actually. Yeah. So what what about um, diversity within a stream? What what do you typically see? Yeah, so diversity of macroinvertebrates in streams change along a stream spatially and temporally. So headwater streams are generally small in size and will have high alloxanous input, but minimal atoxinous production due to heavy shading from the riparian zone. Alloxinous material is organic materials made outside of the system. So an example would be death falling into a stream and toxinous material or organic materials made in the system like algae. As the stream gets okay. larger in size, dependence on riparian input is reduced and toxinous production increases. The macroinvertebrate community composition will shift from headwaters to the mouth of the stream due to changes in stream size and available food resources. There are four main functional feeding groups of macroinvertebrates in streams. Shredders, okay. which are crane fly, fly larvae, um, collectors, which are like ripple beetles and black fly larvae, uh, grazers, which are mayflies, and predators, which can include megalopteran or halgamite, and damsel, damselfly, and dragonfly nests. So, okay. eat a lot in its material uh, and generate fine particulate organic matter, which can be used by collectors downstream. Grazers eat periphyton, fungi, and bacterial colonies off object, objects such as rocks or leaves in the streams. Collectors utilize small debris from shredders, dislodged periphyton from scrapers, algae, and waste from upstream organisms. Predators eat small fish, crustaceans, other macrovertebrates, and myofauna, which are a size class of invertebrates under macroinvertebrates. So they're teeny tiny. Oh my gosh. Okay. And as you move from headwater streams to larger rivers, the macroinvertebrate community just from being dominated by shredders and collectors to being dominated by grazers and collectors. 
Um, due to seasonal changes, macroinvertebrate communities will change over time due to their life histories. For example, macroinvertebrates that eat algae are going to be more abundant in the summer when algae production is highest. On a smaller scale, if you're just, you're just looking at a small stream, macroinvertebrate macro diversity is highest at the beginning of a ripple, which is the shallow area okay. stream with fast moving water. And that's just the mm -hmm. availability at that point. Okay. Do you have a favorite macroinvertebrate? We heard about Kayla's favorite fish. What about your favorite macros? Two. I have a favorite myofauna. <laughs> okay. Okay. My, yeah. Uh, I really like tardigrades. They're water bears. They're called water bears is their common name. They're super oh, cool. So myofauna are a size class of invertebrate under macroinvertebrate. Um, and they're integral part of food web structures and streams, and they're food okay. source for predaceous macroinvertebrates and juvenile fish. But there's oh, wow. um, you can another name for myofauna, and um, you might call them zooplankton. So, but myofauna okay. also include um, mayflies and stuff if they're they're under um, a thousand microns. So okay. I have a favorite macro invertebrate. What's your favorite macro invertebrate, Kayla? <laughs> um, mine is uh, the dive tested, so a predaceous diving beetle. Um, oh, the cool, cool thing about predaceous diving beetles um, is it's kind of weird because there's this like, so male predaceous diving beetles um, have these little suction cups on their legs that help them um, hold on to females because often females are trying to get them off of them. And so there's kind of this weird arms race between female and male predaceous <laughs> dinosaurs. And so the females in response to these suction cuppies have like created um, like smoother shells over time. So they don't get to, the males can't latch on as easily. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. And I really like diatoms too. Um, there's a lot of cool artwork um, made from diatoms, oddly enough. People go, okay. diatoms are these really tiny algae species that live in um, the sediment. And their, their shells are made of silica, which is like in glass. the glass. Hmm. Um, and like a lot of people take these tiny microscopic diatoms and put them in really cool arrangements under microscopes and make this artwork out of them. Oh, neat. Huh, never knew. Yeah. That's cool. Well, Melissa, tell us a little bit about how um, the macro invertebrates and the myofauna can give us um, some clues into the health of a stream. Yeah, so myofauna are pretty patchily distributed, so they're not really great they're integral parts but you can't tell water quality very easily from them um okay but due to macro invertebrates being easy to sample they have quick life cycles and relative immobility in a stream they can be used to indicate water quality water oh, quality cool. is one of the main factors controlling the composition of macroinvertebrate species and streams different aquatic macroinvertebrates have adapted to live in different habitats each type of aquatic macrovermit has a different level of pollution tolerance. 
So some aquatic macroinvertebrates are very sensitive to changes in water quality and can only survive in streams with very little pollution, full temperatures, and highly oxygenated waters. Other types of mac aquatic macroinvertebrates can tolerate polluted waters. One set of aquatic macroinvertebrates commonly used to gauge the health of the stream are EPT taxa, or Ephemeroptera, Glycoptera, and Trichoptera, or more commonly known as mayflies, stoneflies, and caddisflies. These macroinvertebrates obtain oxygen through passive gills, which means the gills don't pump, but they absorb oxygen from the surrounding water. Because of their low tolerance to pollution, these aquatic macroinvertebrates are only found in streams with good water quality. Um, other aquatic macroinvertebrates, such as crayfish and aquatic foul bugs, are moderately sensitive to pollution and are not as helpful as water quality indicators. Other species, mm -hmm. as mish larvae and pouch snails, are tolerant to polluted waters. So these species have developed biological mechanisms which then allow to obtain oxygen in harsh environments. So I see. Oh, wow. So what about just the general human impacts in the region on aquatic life? Like what are some of the things that we see? And then also how is Beaver Watershed Alliance helping to, to solve some of these problems? Yeah, so in aquatic systems, tributaries play an important role in maintaining population and diversity of aquatic organisms through the drainage basin. Because, but because of their small catchments, these ecosystems are more susceptible to the effect of land use changes and flow regime alterations. There are many mm. different sources of pollution from human impacts on rivers. Deforestation and ur urbanization are just a few of the ways that humans can affect aquatic life. Not having uh, adequate riparian buffers can cause stream bank erosion, which introduces more nutrients and sediment into our rivers. Um, urban areas add to this pollution when contaminants are washed off hard surfaces, such as roads and drain into our water. Um, pollution can lower the pH of the water and affect the organisms from algae, algae to vertebrate. Um, biodiversity also has been found to decrease um, with decreasing pH. So when the water becomes acidic from all these pollutants, or can, it can become acidic with all these pollutants, you'll lower diversity. Also the opposite, if the water becomes basic, but it's okay. become um, acidic with all of our contaminants from stormwater runoff. Besides water quality impairments, humans can create barriers in streams, uh, such as low water crossings and culverts. Um, when they're not installed correctly, these barriers can block fish and other aquatic organisms from moving through it throughout a stream. Um, yeah. So the water quality concerns um, in the Beaver Lake watershed is sediment phosphorus. The Beaver Watershed Alliance works to correctly protect, enhance, and sustain the high water quality of Beaver Lake and its tributaries through voluntary best management practice implementation, outreach, and education, and scientific evaluation. The Alliance provides strategic, valued, and meaningful programs by watershed landowners and environmental stewards with the resources they need to protect water quality. Um, okay. So these voluntary best management practices that the Alliance promotes can, are not limited, but include rain gardens, which help catch roof runoff, riparian buffers to stabilize stream banks, and we even go as far as to try to help landowners restore their stream banks um, when you get to that point that they're 
too unstable that just planting trees isn't going to help. All these practices help reduce the amount of sediment and nutrients going to our streams and rivers. The Alliance is also part of the Arkansas Stream Heritage Partnership, whose mission is to restore the natural free-flowing heritage of Arkansas streams opportunistically and efficiently by helping remove low-water crossings that are not being used or helping put, put in new ones correctly so that they aren't blocking fish passage. Um, one might not initially think that low-water crossings can cause issues with a stream and might only just block fish, that's not true. Low water crossing stabilize mm -hmm. an entire stream reach, stream reach by causing head cuts, which is a change in the elevation of the stream in a short area. The stream can become more entrenched okay. when that happens, so it's just kind of channelizing it and causing it to get deeper. Um, and there are, and when it gets the stream gets deeper, that destabilizes the banks on either side, so then you'll just get more erosion. Um, there are certain designs for culverts and crossings that do not impede the flow of water and will not um, form head guts. So we want to help um, landowners do that if they're interested in um, removing their crossing and putting in more correctly. Um, everyone can make a difference in the water quality in Northwest Arkansas. The Alliance is happy to equip people with the tools they need to achieve what they want on their land. That's awesome. Thanks so much. There, there really is a lot that everybody can do to help increase the aquatic biodiversity. So that's great. Well, thank you both for joining me today. It was great to have you on and hear about Ozark streams. So thanks yeah, for joining the pod. Thank you, Carrie. It was really fun. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. For more details on water quality and aquatic life in streams, find us on Facebook and Instagram. To sign up for our upcoming virtual programs, visit our website, beaverwatershedalliance.org. Please share the podcast and be sure to keep tuning in.